What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. This is episode number 37. We've been doing this for 37 weeks straight. I am Kyle Betts, joined by my co-host here, Brevin Honda. It is Thursday, March 3rd, recording at around 9.45 Pacific time in the morning. Brevin, how's your week been? It's been pretty good. Um... Obviously, we didn't get the news we wanted for the new MLB uh, collective bargaining agreement between the Player Association and the owners, which we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. We're going to talk some NBA, maybe talk some uh, NBA MVP conversation. Um, We'll talk some college hoops. It's Coach K's uh, final home game at Duke this weekend. We'll talk some, maybe some march madness with it coming up within the next couple of weeks it's it's also james harden's first game in a 76ers uniform um so we'll talk about him and the relationship that that he that he is building with joel Embiid and the rest of his teammates and and we'll also talk some trivia um testing kyle on his spring training knowledge um at the end of our show yeah, that, that part is probably not going to go too well for me because <laughs> if, if there's anyone who doesn't pay much attention to spring training, it's me. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But like Brevin said, we got a lot to talk about today. And <laughs> let's get right down to it. We're going to start with the MLB as we have really just these past two months, it seemed like, where the lockout is now, I guess, officially in full effect because now it's affecting the start of the season. Here we have a CBA uh, agreement that was not reached. And uh, there was a 11.59 p.m. Eastern deadline in Jupiter, Florida, Roger Dean Stadium, which is the home site of the St. Louis Cardinals when they play their spring training games. No deadline there, but it kind of seemed fluid to an extent because there were reports, especially from Bob Nightingale, that pretty much just said, you know, this is an evergreen situation. Um, They're talking through the night and it it seemed for a few moments, Brevin, that MLB fans, at least for the time being, had some hope at that point, right? Yeah, it sounded like there was optimism between the two sides. I mean, we saw the owners go back and forth from their side of the feet, their side of Roger Dean Stadium, where the owners are meeting, and they were walking to the players' side. They did that about 13. They did that 13 times on Monday, lasting about 16, 17 hours around that, and got it to 2 a.m. on the East Coast, and and they were still talking. It seemed like the deal was going to get done. I uh, had the opportunity to get done early Tuesday morning, but. Ultimately, the the two sides decided to, um, the two sides along with MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred decided to come back the next day on Tuesday and um, come back and hopefully finish up the talks uh, with the deadline being moved to uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time. So that all happened and, you know, throughout that night, there were 13 separate meetings within 16 plus hours, you know. Some notable aspect of that is during the last MLB lockout, it was 17 and a half hours in the negotiation, negotiation, which ended at 5.54 a.m. back on March 19th of 1990 to end that. But um, the talks continued and it, it really just seemed like everything kind of went backwards at that point because MLBPA said there would be no deal. And ever since the 1994-95 strike, um, there has been an agreement in place, but no deal being reached on Tuesday ended up um, resulting that 26 years of peace um, that were existing between MLB and the Players Association. So the proposal that declined by the MLBPA and the owner's best and final offer, um, there was no change to the competitive balance tax, um, a $5 million increase on pre-arbitration bonus pool. From 25 million to 30 million, and then also an increase in minimum salaries from 
675k to $700,000 with an increasing increment of $10,000 per year. So um, just no agreement reached in that aspect. It's going to be interesting to see if there is an agreement that will be made here today. There's been rumors of um, both sides meeting here yet again to try and figure something out. But another aspect of this is how the playoffs were effective. They did agree on a 12-team playoff. Um, and then as of yesterday, again, with no deal being reached, there would be no spring training officially. There would be no opening day that would happen, at least on schedule, which would be March 31st. And the first two series of the 2022 season would be effectively canceled due to there being no agreement. And Brevin, when you consider all of these, I guess, details, what kind of stood out to you the most other than the first two weeks of the first two series, I should say, of the season being canceled? Yeah, I think when it comes to that best and final offer that the MLB owners offer, I think the thing that ultimately stands out was that no change to competitive balance tax, that CBT. And, you know, you we we talked about this in the past with in terms of you see you see teams deciding to tank to kind of get themselves ready in that five-year window well that kind of five-year window you see we saw the astros do it to win the world series uh, in 2017 um we saw the royals do it as well and that type of building of a franchise, building of a team, building of a World Series team isn't quite what um, fans want to see. They don't want to see teams uh, lose 100 games in a season. They want to see the competition continue to rise, kind of like what we saw in 2020 and how you saw teams like the Marlins make the playoffs for the first time in, since they won the World Series, for example. You saw the Padres make the playoffs. You see the Reds make the playoffs. These teams that you haven't seen make the playoffs um, in a few years. And because of that, you know, that brought up that that type of issue. And for them to have no change at, in the competitive balance tax kind of was the difference maker um, in this. I think, obviously, there were number salary totals number totals that were a little bit different from the two sides that we've mentioned in the past but having that cbt uh there not being much change was the, pretty much the difference and so with all that being considered i mean this really just throws everything off in terms of their you know being a full regular season which is not going to happen at this point. Obviously, first few series being canceled, but also how this is going to affect April and mm -hmm. what goes on during that month, especially Jackie Robinson Day this year um, being a milestone with the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking that color barrier. Um, so that's a pretty big deal right there. And that date, obviously, April 15th is now in jeopardy. Brevin, would you say any sort of side of that fault? I mean, the overall narrative on social media, I would say, is that, you know, most people seem to side with the players and mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of blame on Manfred and, and the owners as well. But, I mean, how, how do you necessarily see this situation? Are you siding with the players? Are you siding with the league and the owners? Or... Are you taking the neutral stance in that um, a deal should be worked out? Obviously, if, if all parties want baseball, how, how, how do you see this play out and, and who's to blame? I think it, it's kind of both sides are to blame because you think about the players. You could go from the perspective, from the owner's perspective, that the players were maybe asking for maybe a little bit too much for what they want obviously the players they they in the players case they they want they wanted a little bit more because of what they lost come this come from the cba that they agreed on in 2016 
So you so because of that the players were gonna agree to more. But then when you uh, look at the owner side, you think about well, um, you think about they didn't meet one month at least a month after the lockout and um you know there was so much time in between december 2nd and that first meeting and so you could Mm -hmm. say that it's also the owner's fault but one thing i will say on the players is one of the things that have also been said about this players association is that it's one of the strongest not just sports unions but one of the biggest one of the strongest unions in the country and you think about how well these players how this player association is stuck together even in the midst of everything that's going on they're not backing down as much as they as they have to um during these cba talks yeah i think that's a good point um you know it just seemed like since December, there was a lot of time for something to get figured out. And obviously during the last week of standard negotiations before the deadline, they met every single day and still then no deal reached. And here we are obviously with the regular season now being impacted. I think we all kind of thought spring training was in jeopardy, but um, now we've reached that point where the first two series, if not more, will also be canceled and so we'll see what happens within the next week how many times they meet they're supposed to meet today we'll see if that happens and um, hopefully they get closer to striking a deal if they are unable to reach an agreement there obviously um, lead negotiators uh, Dan Haliam and Bruce Meyer um, they are meeting today so we're going to see what happens with that and we'll keep you guys updated here next week on down the line hopefully we do see some progress being made at the very least even if we don't get an agreement because ultimately we, we've seen guys like mike trout and others players you know speak out on twitter and saying we want this for the fans not not just for ourselves yeah. we we want baseball and i think everyone pretty much does because we're reaching that time of year where it's uh hockey, basketball, and baseball, but now we're going to be without baseball. So Mm -hmm. um, that's definitely going to shift some things up. And hopefully we do get an agreement soon because no one likes a shortened season. And we saw that two years ago Mm -hmm. and, you know, it it just, everything's better when, when baseball is, you know, active and the guys are getting paid because during this lockout, you know, these players are not getting paid as well. So that's, it's impacting a lot more than just games not being played at the same time. So, We'll follow this and keep you guys updated on down the line. In other baseball news, we have Miami Marlins CEO, um, Derek Jeter. He is parting ways from the team. It was announced just a couple days ago. Honestly, I did not read much into the situation. I heard that he was parting ways, but I did not see any reason given for this. Brevin, um, what are your takeaways, I guess, from this piece of news here yeah what stood out about this move was it was on monday as the owners and the mlbpa were meeting and that first kind of gives you shock and possibly that could coincide with each other ultimately it did because in a statement i'm reading this article from espn that says in a statement sent through a news release uh distributed rather than the marlins Derek Jeter said the vision of the future of the franchise is different than the one I signed up to lead. Now, <laughs> now is the right time for me to step aside as a new season begins. End quote. Yeah, very interesting. And here's the thing. I mean, we've seen the Marlins play these past few years. And ever since, you know, he, he joined that franchise, I mean, not much has happened in terms of improvement. Obviously, there is you know, a lot of potential within that team. They have a lot of young players that have potential to develop, especially guys like Trevor Rogers, Sandy Alcantara, um, a few guys in there that could really, you know, make a difference for any sort of ball club. But at this point, I think what Derek Jeter says when he says our vision is not the same is they made a lot of trades recently as well that um, 
haven't necessarily improved the team per se. And they're kind of stuck in that position where they do have a solid lineup underneath them, but it's not necessarily one that can elevate your team to the next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You think about at the beginning of Jeter's career or with Jeter's career with the Marlins, you know, he um, was part of that group that traded players that, that like John Carlos Dayton, you think about Christian Yelich, JT Realmuto, um, you could put um, mm. Marcelo Zuna in that mix. You think about the Marlins, well, the previous, yeah, um, before before Jeter was there, giving Stanton that 13-year contract, something that we've never heard of until Mike Trout and Fernando Tatis got those type of contracts within the last couple of years. Um, you mentioned Sandy Alcantara, um, Trevor Rogers, and All Star this year. Um, so it's you could you could kind of see the path in terms of rebuild that the Marlins are taking um, that we saw in the past from other teams. You see with the Padres right now getting, you know, being able to sign players like Joey Wendell, being able to get um, obviously they get Jesus Aguilar, um, but you think about getting um, also signing Avisel Garcia. And so that from there, you start to see those pieces come together. But then, um, but then when news comes out like this, that Derek Jeter decides to part ways, then you knew something was up. Whether it was, you know, them not trying to win as much as they Derek Jeter wants to as the CEO. Um, and see, that's where when you think about other teams you think about the Padres and you see the owners that they're committed to winning even being in a quote-unquote small market in San Diego and you see that from the owners you see that you see that winning mindset from the entire the entire organization from you saw you hear that from Peter Seidler you heard that from Bob Melvin, the new Padre manager. You hear that from, obviously, the players. They want to get to winning a World Series. Um, Eric Hosmer wants to get back to winning a World Series. Manny Machado wants to be a World Series champion. You think about how much Fernando Tatis has grown this game of baseball over the last few years with his flair and style um, that he plays the game with. You know, and these pieces that the Padres have, they want to be able to play on the get to playing and be able to be part of a winning organization. Yeah, I think you're totally right when you say that. And the Marlins just haven't reached the heights that I guess they were expected to back in 2017. Because you go back and look at that lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you named all those names: JT Real Muto, D Gordon back when you know he was playing at yep. an All Star level, Salazuna, mm-hmm. Yelich, Stanton. Um, even, you know, Justin Bohr back then when, you yep. know, he was, mm-hmm. he was your power guy and, yep. um, he would get 30 home runs a year, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And, um, even Ichiro was back on that team. So you, you saw that presence of veteran mm-hmm. leadership and, um, they were a team that was, you know, getting close to playoff contention year in and year out. And then now you fast forward, what, five years later, none of those mm-hmm. guys are there and it's just really a team where they shouldn't be in this current position, all things considered where they were back then as well. So um, you think about the front office and the moves they made just hasn't been enough to keep them a competitive ball club. And so as a result, Derek Jeter, not seeing eye to eye with the other forms of leadership in the front office, he now leaves. And also he sold his 4% ownership in the team as well. So that's obviously, um, a number that's been impacted by this move too. The one person that I think probably can deal with this the most is probably general manager Kim Ng. And I say that mm-hmm. in the aspect of, you know, this is someone that Derek Jeter hired, um, you know, Kim Ng, the first woman to be a GM in major league baseball, you know, her, you know, being able to have that type of vision, you know, and I yeah. don't think it really, the reasoning for Jeter's 
departure ultimately came from Kim Ng. I think it really came from the ownership, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of wanting to win. You know, we see Kim Ng, her competitors to win. Um, you know, we see her talking about how good her these players are going to be in the next two to three years, how good the starting rotation is. You add in um, uh, the pitcher that they got from the A's in the Starling Marte deal. Um, you know, that young pitcher from, I can't remember his name, but you think about that type of trade and how highly Kim Ng speaks, uh, Kim Ng speaks about those type of players and the trades that they make. You know, it's, it says a lot about um, what she believes in um, for this team. No doubt. So I think we'll just have to see if that position is filled in before any sort of regular season happens or if they leave it vacant. I guess still to be determined at this time, but Derek Jeter is no longer the CEO of the Miami Marlins. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to some NBA now. We are in the midst of the season. Obviously, we past the halfway point, or I guess the symbolical halfway point of post-All-Star break competition. And that also meant we saw the first of James Harden with the 76ers the past week. He's played, I believe, three games in the 76ers uniform, and he has looked absolutely spectacular. His first game coming on February 25th, where he dropped 27, had eight rebounds, 12 assists. Against the Knicks back on February 27th, he dropped a triple-double, 29-10-16 and 16 in that game. And then yesterday, playing the Knicks again, this time at home, dropped 26-9-9. Nine and nine. So he looks, honestly, he looks as good as he's ever been. And I think this move to Philadelphia has been a little bit rejuvenating for him, I would say. Um, Brevin, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think when you ultimately think about this type of team that he's with, it's kind of like the days when he was in Houston. You think about with him and Clint Capella, that one-two, that guard big duo. And we see that here in Philly with him and Joel Embiid. And um, we saw that again last night. I mean, with the way you mentioned what Harden had. And you think about Embiid, he had, um, you know, and B having 27 points and 12 rebounds. And so mm -hmm. if if Philly can win these games like this, I mean, up ahead there's next games they've got they've got Cleveland tonight who's just up there in that playoff. They got a couple of playoff they got God, one, two, three, four, four straight playoff teams um over the next four games, beginning with the Cavs tomorrow, the Heat, you get the Bulls. And you get the 76ers within the next week. So four games in seven days. It's all going to be about, I think these four games are going to be key in terms of where we see the 76ers um, against these playoff caliber teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And you already mentioned what Joel Embiid has been able to do with James Harden. I think their unselfish play is, is what's been most, most important especially this year, I feel like we've seen James Harden get a lot more assists, even when he was in Brooklyn. Um, so he's sharing the ball a lot more. You can kind of tell his play style has changed in some ways. Um, and also the, their chemistry just already seems like it, it's perfect. I mean, they're taking the right shots. Joel Embiid is the favorite to win MVP right now, I would say. And to see them play together at a high level is what's really important. And also that depth in that team. I mean, you listen to the numbers that Embiid had last night and Harden, but ever since Harden was put in the lineup, one guy that stood out to me is Tyrese Maxey, and, and the young mm -hmm. guard has just been spectacular. I mean, in the three games, he had 28, 21. Last night, he had 25 points. So not only James Harden and Joel Embiid playing incredibly well together, but they're getting other guys involved. Like Maxey, he's – a young bunny star, he's been fantastic. I think the Sixers are really the team to be right now in the NBA because of that, and also because they have a lot of really good role players as well. Danny Green, he's still, you know, an elite shooter, as he's always been, even though he hasn't played that well this year. He's still a guy that you like coming off your bench. Same with George Niang. Um, he's been a little bit better shooting-wise, but 
those are two guys right there. And then Matisse Thibault in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, his, his defense is spectacular. And mm-hmm. they just seem like they're gelling really well together right now with Doc Rivers, you know, at the helm. And they're a scary team. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I'm sure they've played the Knicks twice in, in, within those games, and the Knicks haven't been as great this season. But, I mean, that Timberwolves game as well, I mean, got to raise some eyebrows. I and mean, you look at this team, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about what the Sixers continue to do and where, where they see themselves going um, in terms of the, the standings. you got just two and a half games to break Philly and Boston in that Atlantic League. But then in the conference, Philly, they're three seed right now. They're just two games back of Miami for that top spot, a half game back of Chicago. They're a game up on Milwaukee, and they're two and a half games up on Cleveland and Boston at the same time. So it should be great to see how, as you mentioned last week, how this Eastern Conference is going to finish come the next six weeks. Yeah, the Heat being in first place is just something I always seem to overlook because I feel like they've been quietly fantastic this season. I know last night they played a really good game against Milwaukee. I believe they won, but. Um, you, you see them at the top of the Eastern Conference, followed by the Bulls, Sixers, Bucks, Cavs, like you said. I think the East is in a much better position this year than I guess the past two years mm-hmm. because yeah. it's just been really awkward ever since you know the Toronto Raptors won their title. Um, there hasn't really been, I guess, a clear cut front runner other than the Bucks. And now this year, I mean, who really thought the Bulls would be number two? We we expected them to be, you know maybe middle of the pack in the East, but, you know, sitting that second in front of the Sixers at this point is a really good accomplishment for them, but I can really see the Sixers overtaking them. And I I think at some point it's just going to end up being a dogfight for that first spot between Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. Philadelphia, and Miami, because the Bulls haven't played as well as of late. So I guess we'll see what happens with that. But like I mentioned before, Joel Embiid, most likely the MVP favorite at this point. Currently, he has plus 100 odds to win that honor, but there's still plenty of season left, and mm-hmm. anything can happen in basketball, as we've known, especially with Joel Embiid, um, the kind of ball player that he is, not your typical big. He has been, I guess, injury-prone at some, I guess, different parts of his career to this point. So anything can happen with him and the guy right now, second in odds for MVP, the second highest odds or second best odds, I should say is Nikola Jokic at plus 300 followed by Giannis at plus 500. And then number four is DeMar DeRozan at plus 1200 followed by John Moran at plus 1800. Six right now is Steph Curry plus 2000. But when you consider all these names, Revan, who is your current, pick for NBA MVP for 2021-22? That's kind of difficult. I think you win. I think, you know, there's no really clear-cut favor. And, I mean, it's not like it's you where LeBron's in the in the hunt to win an MVP. Um, so, and you think about Miami and Chicago, two teams that we kind of don't think would normally be at the top, especially over the last 10 years, you think about the moves that they have made in order to get there. Um, I think you can, this is so difficult. I think just because of where, how, where the teams are at. I mean, we mentioned the top four teams, three games within each other. Um, The top eight teams in the Eastern Conference are within nine games of each other. Um, You could put, I mean, Devin Booker and Chris Paul should probably also be, at least one of them should be in that MVP conversation. I mean, they're the only team in the NBA with 50 wins. Um, it's easily, you could put Steph Curry in that conversation. Same thing with John Morant. I mean, Steph Curry break the broke the all-time three-point made field goals mark um, about a couple months ago. What he can do with the basketball continues to 
continues to be unforeseen every single day uh, when he's on the court. You think about John Morant, what he's able to do with the ball, you know, 50 points the other night, had a couple of highlight plays, the the slam dunk that he had, the full court buzzer beater catch and shoot that he had. Um, you know, it's pretty – Pretty, I think it's pretty wide open, and I think the edge just is. If there's any edge, it's probably just for Joel Embiid because a he hasn't won an MVP before, and we see how much bigs have dominated this MVP award over the last few seasons with Giannis and uh, Jokic last year. And you think about in order for a part like Joel Embiid to be able to win this MVP is just he just has to play hard the final rest of the regular season if he wants to if he's supposedly the favorite. Yeah, I think you're totally right when you say that. And I think there was a big question mark too when James Harden was traded to this game is does Joel Embiid's volume go down? But so far we haven't really seen that because mm-hmm. he's still getting you know his what seems to be a typical amount of statistics he would usually get in the game. So I think right now it, it is Joel Embiid, and he's the most dynamic big man there is. He can do it all, and he's doing it in a dominant way. And that's why they're currently third right now in the East, and they're on the rise as well. So I think Embiid does lead it. It's it's tough to say because right now, you know, Joel Embiid almost averaging 30 points a game to this point, 11.1 rebounds. 4.4 assists, but you, you look at Nikola Jokic, man, 25.4 points a game, almost 14 boards a game, and then 7.9 assists per game. So it, it, it's a tough call because both of these players have similar attributes. They play with, I guess, a little bit of similar styles in some ways. Obviously, Embiid seems to, you know, drive in a lot more, but um, Jokic can really just do it all. He, he's your ultimate five-tool player, and that's not to say that Embiid can't, but it's just a really tough call. I think at this point between those two, I think DeRozan was looking good for that MVP spot, mm-hmm. but um, he was on some crazy streak of 20-plus point games that was snapped earlier this week. Um, so hopefully he's able to kind of figure it out. Um, that's right. It was against the Heat. And I believe they lost that game against the Heat as well. He only had 18 points. I say only, like, it's it's, it's something crazy. But, um, yeah, we, we've seen DeMar DeRozan just absolutely play lights out, averaging 28.2 points a game as well at age 32. So, I don't know. It's unpredictable, like you said. And I think, really, it's going to come down to the final few games of the regular season over the next month, especially in March. Not only as it is it big for college basketball, but for the NBA as well, I think. So I think that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. Not even necessarily which guy puts up the best numbers, but also which guy leads their team to the best position possible in the Eastern or Western Conference. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to keep talking some hoops now, but we're going to go to the college side of things. We have college basketball going on this upcoming week, and it's a really exciting time because this is the final weekend of the regular season. Next week, we get into some conference tournament action, which is always a lot of fun to watch. And we've already seen, you know, in these first three days of March, there's been a lot of upsets. And even last weekend, I think, what was it, Saturday, when numbers one through six in the country all lost, as well as number nine. So mm-hmm. on the same day, and that was ridiculous. So here we are, enter March, and anything can happen. As John Rothstein says, this is March. Mm-hmm. So let's get right into it. Um, one of those teams that's going to compete in the tournament is Duke. But before they get there, or even their conference tournament in the ACC, it is Coach Krzyzewski's last game. Coach K, he's been there, I think, for 42 years. And what a career that he's had. And it's very fitting that his final home game is against North Carolina. Obviously, they scheduled that on purpose as the final home game of his farewell tour. And it is not only a senior night for the players on that squad. I don't know how many seniors they do have, but 
um, it's his senior night as well because this is his ultimate send-off at Duke. Five national championships, 12 final fours. He is everything you want in a basketball coach. And it's going to be weird to see the college basketball landscape without Coach K being a part of it, for sure. I think you can also add um, – you can also add not seeing Coach K, but also seeing – not seeing Roy Williams, too. Both those premier coaches, especially in the ACC, you think about mm-hmm. some of those big-time coaches in that conference. You think about coaches like Jay Wright at Virginia uh, – at well, that's Villanova. Uh, but you think about – Virginia, these, you know, just won the national championship. You think about, um, you know, these different schools. You think about how well some teams like, um, you know, some good time coaches in uh, ACC. Jim Beheim's another example at Syracuse, another longtime coach. Um, so it's going to be, you know, it's just another transitional transition of power. Um, you know, for another ACC school, we saw it last year with North Carolina, and they're they're another team that's in contention to be in another NCAA tournament. We see it with Duke, number four team in the country. Um, you know, so to be, I think it's I think Saturday will be a little bit more emotional than I think we'll all expect. No doubt. I mean, this is just going to be a really nice game. Especially, you know, this is the most notable rivalry in all of college basketball. And it's going to be fantastic in front of those 21,000 fans, if not more, at the Dean Dome. Obviously, there have been so many great moments against these two teams facing each other. Um, First matchup between Coach K and the new USC head coach, Hubert Davis. Um, But... Coach K obviously has a 49 and 46 record against the Tar Heels. And that just shows how competitive these two teams have played each other. And obviously there's been so many moments between Coach K and other teams, but I think the most notable are between Coach K and and North Carolina. And and like you said, there's just been, it's been the best rivalry there's been. And Carlos Boozer, obviously um, coming back against, North Carolina back in 2000 as well, um, beating Roy Williams in the first ever meeting. Um, Austin Rivers on February 8, 2012, getting a three-pointer at the buzzer to give them a win against the Tar Heels when they were number five in the country. And, I mean, just these two teams, there's always great basketball going on between them. And I think it's going to be all the same here in this one, even though Duke may be the better team. I don't know. I mean, just playing on the road and – in that arena is I think going to bring out the best of both teams. And I think it's going to be a really close game as well. So we're going to miss coach K and a winning career and just a winning head coach more than a thousand wins in his career, obviously. And um, how, how do you think this college basketball landscape Revan changes without coach K kind of leading the way? I think it's big because now you're going to see you know, coaches like Jim Beheim and Tom Izzo from Michigan State kind of be those kind of top premier coaches in the country in terms of, you know, your quote-unquote power six coaches. You know, you obviously have Mark Few in that conversation as well, like Gonzaga. You could put um, Baylor's head coach in there now after last year's national championship. So it'll be, um, it'll be a little bit, kind of a changing of the power changing of the guards with coach K Melvin do you think like I mentioned with Tom Mizzo and uh, Jim Beheim? yeah that's a great point and I don't think anyone knows to this point who is going to lead the Blue Devils after coach K leaves but it is surely going to be a lot different without seeing him on the sideline obviously he he's coached team USA throughout the years as well so it's been fun to watch that team together. And, and that's why he was selected to lead that Olympic national team is because of just the knowledge that he brought, the wisdom, all, all the talent that he had on that team as well. And 
Duke is notoriously known for having five stars on their team and guys who are coming in just to execute their one and dones and go to the NBA, but um, they've still been able to draw talent because of their winning tradition. And I think that's what's been most important in a program. And that's why they've always seemed to be the best. And I think it'll continue to be that way, obviously because of the legacy he left there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The next head coach for Duke will be John Shire, who is currently on the staff on coach K's staff. Um, who it's kind of like, um, you know, Steve Fisher retiring, Brian Dutcher taking over um, here at San Diego State. Um, it's kind of like that. You know, I think Coach K said in the interview, I was watching some Coach K interviews last night, and he said, you know, I, a few years ago, John Shire wasn't ready to be a head coach. Well, now – now he is, and uh, one of the things that really has changed for Shire, one of his bigger improvements is how much he's more involved in the recruiting um, mm. for Duke, and now he's going to be the next head coach, being the um, next head coach following uh, Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah, that's a good point, that parallel between, you know, um, John Shire and, and um, also – Coach K and then Brian Dutcher and Steve Fisher, because I think it's, you know, just really important for a program to bring in a guy who has not only years of experience, but also has really just learned the ranks and how they're able to be successful at the same time. And a large part of that is recruiting, like you said. And like I mentioned before, there's been so many um, guys who have come in to do, I mean, Wendell Carter, Kyrie Irving, even though he was hurt for a lot of that time. Um, Austin Rivers, like I talked about before, he was fantastic when he was there. Just so many guys who have come in. JJ Reddick's another mm -hmm. name too. I mean, you can, the list goes on and on. And mm -hmm. that's why, because talent attracts talent. And so that's been a big part of what he's been able to do. And with San Diego State, you, you kind of saw that as well, because Brian Dutcher, he was part of that, staff for years as an assistant but never got his chance until the, the retirement of c fisher and here he is you know and, and you know john shire he, he is a lot younger than brian dutcher but he also waited his turn to get there and he's a duke graduate as well so it mm -hmm. hasn't necessarily been that long of a time for john shire but there is a parallel there and that they've had to wait for their turn and they've both now found the experience they needed to be successful so i think that's a really good point that you bring up there yeah, a little bit about John Shire. He is a Duke alum playing under Coach Krzyzewski for four seasons um, mm -hmm. and part of that 2010 NCAA champ uh, national championship team in 2010. Shire was a two-year two team captain, uh, started in 108 games as a guard for the Blue Devils and finished his career averaging 14.4 points and three assists in his uh, per game in his Duke career. And fun fact about John Shire as well. I'm just now reading. I actually did not know this. He is legally blind in his right eye. Interesting enough, because he was playing in the NBA summer league. Um, I believe I was an undrafted free agent, but um, he was, he was poked in the right eye by Joe Ingles of all people. And that left him legally blind in that right eye. He returned to play in the D-League eventually and then eventually overseas as well in Israel and Spain. But that's just a fun fact about John Shire. He did hoop at Duke, like he mentioned, and got a little bit of NBA experience but never made it um, quite to the main show and played overseas as a result of that. But just a, that's a fun fact. I, I did not know that about him. So um, obviously he has mm -hmm. a small experience. Um, he is an Israeli American. Um, so that's another fun fact about him as well. And it, yeah, it's just going to be definitely odd to see that sideline, you know, with coach Casey to occupied by him, but obviously he's learned a lot and I, I am really interested to see how Duke performs in the NCAA tournament this year, because Paolo Boncaro, he's obviously their best guy. He's a top prospect for the NBA draft right now 
and they are currently ranked number four in the country as well. They're riding a really long win streak, so we'll see what they are able to do past this weekend when they play North Carolina in the NCAA tournament and the ACC tournament as well. So, all right, we have trivia. I'm your contestant yet again, and the subject is MLB spring training. Like I said before, this probably won't uh-huh. go well, but you know what? We're going to give it our best shot. Because <laughs> uh, I've actually never been to a spring training game before. Uh-huh. I have watched a few games in my lifetime, obviously. I used to listen to them on the radio when I was in the car, too, just to kind of get a little bit of a baseball uh-huh. fix. Um, obviously, this year was the year in which I could have attended a spring training yeah. game. because Here I am living in Phoenix, but um, Mr. Manfred had some other ideas. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, that's still never been to a spring training game. But anyways, I'm about to be tested on it by Brevin. So let yep. it fly. <laughs> All right. Well, even though there's no major league spring training going on, Kyle, there is a minor league spring training um, taking place. So you can go see um, players, uh, minor leaguers that aren't on Major League 40-man rosters, just to let you know. Um, but There's that, yeah. Mm-hmm. 15 Major League teams are uh, host spring training in the Cactus League in Arizona, Kyle. And this is your first year uh, being in Arizona during spring training for the, technically for technically the entirety of spring training. When you're based on a regular schedule from February to March, yeah. And Kyle, I want to help you learn a little bit more about the teams that are there in Arizona, oh, as well as maybe the city and or the ballpark that they play at. Oh wow! Okay, well, I can mm-hmm. already tell you the the only ballpark I know is the home of the Angels. Yeah. So uh huh. Tepe Diablo and the, and the Angels yep. are out here, so that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. For, I figured you, I knew you would get that one, Kyle. Honestly, the rest of these, or a majority of these, are going to be huh? straight-up guesses because okay. I am not familiar that much with mm-hmm. spring training, like, like I mentioned before. Um, obviously, the other teams play down in Florida for their spring training mm-hmm. in the grapefruit league. Yeah. So man, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and here's the thing, like you would assume the West coast teams are going to be in the cactus league, but I'm pretty sure yeah. all of them are. So that's going to trip me up for sure. All right, let's, let's go with the A's as my number two. Guess. All right. Yep. The A's are also in the cactus league pretty much. Uh, all the NOS and AL West teams are here in the Cactus League. Now, Kyle, the thing I will say that can be a little trippy is that there's some of these um, spring training sites that host two teams and not just one. Yes, yeah. I'm not going to be able to get that. There's no shot unless it's a random guess. So but, the Oakland A's, uh, before you get to your next guest, I'll give you time to think. Yeah. They they also they play in Mesa, uh, separate okay. from another Mesa team, another Cactus League team that plays in Mesa, but they play at Hohokam Stadium. <laughs> Man, see, that's the thing. I, I don't even – I knew they play in, like, surrounding areas, but Mesa mm-hmm. is such a random place. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, obviously, like – the teams in the West, right? So um, mm-hmm. the Mariners. Yep. Can you get they? They are one of the teams that have a second team with them. Can you guess who that second team is? Um. Honestly, I have no idea, but I'm gonna guess the Rockies. It's not the Rockies. It's actually the Padres. The the Mariners okay. and the Padres. They play in Peoria at the Peoria oh. Sports Complex. I did not know that. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Either idea, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The Rangers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go with the Rockies for, with the Rangers. I mean, maybe I'm just putting it out there. But... Now, 
No, this isn't like an ALNL type of uh, uh, collaboration between these two. It's actually the Texas Rangers. They um, they share the their spring training complex with the Kansas City Royals in a surprise. Oh, okay. And they're they play spring yeah. training games at Surprise Stadium. Yes, yeah, so I didn't even know they had a stadium there. Had no, uh-huh. mm-hmm. couldn't have that at all. Um, <laughs> I know that the White Sox are are in the Cactus League. I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes they are. Um, man. The White Sox are a team that does I, I would, uh, team up with another MLB organization. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to guess the Dodgers. That is correct. There you go, Kyle. The Dodgers and White Sox, they are neighbors. They meet in Glendale, and they play at Camelback Ranch. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I knew the White Sox are definitely in this because mm-hmm. I, it, it seems like every time I watch a spring training game, it's the Angels always playing the White Sox. I don't know <laughs> what it is. Um, man, okay. So, all right, I got one. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. I guess this is tough. I guess going on the theme of AL Central, I guess the Twins as well. The Twins. Kyle, they actually play in Florida. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not even necessarily by division. Nope. Um, the, the, yeah, pretty much the AL Central. Um, is it split? No, it's kind of split. It's pretty much split against the NL and AL Central. Okay, interesting. If that helps. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I but the Twins guess... play in Florida. Okay, gotcha. I guess in that case, the Reds, are they in the Cactus League? Mm-hmm. They are. Now, Kyle, you have to make a decision here. Are they a team that they have their own spring training site, or do they co-host a spring training site? I feel like you're trying to trick me since you're asking me. So I'm going to say they co-host. They do share it with another team. Okay, let's go. Um, <laughs> okay, my guess is going to be the, the Tigers, but I know that's probably going to be wrong. It's not the Tigers, Kyle, unfortunately. Right division, but it's not the Tigers. The Tigers also play in the Grapefruit League, but the team that shares get the Cleveland Guardians, and it's okay. – and it, uh, they play in Goodyear, so at the Goodyear Ballpark, it's right when you first get into Arizona coming in from the west, coming in the, off the 10. So as as the first kind of quote-unquote city, as you come into uh, Phoenix, um, you see Goodyear, and you see the Reds and Indians. Okay. Uh, see, I didn't even know that. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if the stadium's like just off the freeway or whatever, or maybe uh-huh. I'm just not observant, but yeah, no, I don't remember <laughs> that at all. Um, and had no idea they played there. But that's, that's interesting how they're, they're out there. It, it is really intriguing that they are all in different cities. I thought it was like four teams in Tempe, maybe a team in you know, mm-hmm. Peoria, mm-hmm. or two teams there, whatever. So it's interesting how they're all like pretty much dispersed all throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, One thing mean, also, Kyle, before I give you, before you yeah. go on, they uh, there are no spring training games at Chase Field in Phoenix. Yeah, that is interesting. I guess it makes sense because they all mm-hmm. have their other own venues, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Obviously, another team that I didn't mention yet, but I should have, is the D-backs. Uh-huh. Now, Kyle, you have to think, do the D-backs, do they have their own facility, or do they co-host their facility? 
Let's say they own their own facility. They actually do not. And they uh, <laughs> they co-host it. Now, Kyle, can you guess who that team that they co-host it with? Rockies. There you go. There's the Rockies. There you go. <laughs> now, the D-backs and Rockies, their spring training site is in Scottsdale. And they play at Salt River Fields and Talking Stick. Okay, yeah. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, pretty solid. How, how many more do I need? So there's three teams left. And I'll give you a hint, Kyle, that all three of these teams host their own. Uh, they have their own sites and do not share. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say the Brewers. Yep, the Brewers are another team in the Cactus League. They play in Phoenix at the American Family Fields of Phoenix, similar to their ballpark name uh, in Milwaukee. Interesting. Um, Pirates? The Pirates, they are actually in the Grapefruit League in Florida. Okay. See, that's what I thought, but I, I just had, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a wild guess. Um, You've I'm got one go more NL West team and another NL Central team. I have another NL West team? Yeah, they're good from the NL West. Another NL Central team as well, uh, I guess mm-hmm. the Cubs. Yep, the Cubs, they play in Mesa. They play at Sloan Park. I think the Cubs, you know, it's one of the, especially during the World Series run, their big-time playoff runs, they had one of the biggest attendance uh, seasons uh, in spring training at Sloan Park. Okay, and then last guess is, is the Giants. Yep, the Giants, they play in Scottsdale, but not at the same set as the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. And they play at Scottsdale Stadium. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I had no idea like half, actually more than half <laughs> of these stadiums existed mm-hmm. before. So that, that mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. But um, yeah, I guess uh, could have gone mm-hmm. a little worse. <laughs> yeah, I thought it went well, Kyle. The only two teams that you guessed that did not play in the Cactus League were the Minnesota Twins and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, Pirates, I definitely should have known. I mean, Twins was kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do, but um, yeah, pretty solid. Could have, could have been worse, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have personally been to spring training twice, mm-hmm. and I've also played at Peoria and Goodyear when I was playing travel ball. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Playing on the practice, on their practice field. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully at some point I, I can make it out to a spring training game. Just seems like a fun environment. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of the guys who are fighting for a spot on the team. Sometimes you get the starters out there. And mm-hmm. Yeah, no, honestly, it, it, like to put things in perspective, like it really does suck not being able to go and see one of those games, especially after all these years. I've always wanted to do it, but you know, my parents never had a reason to go out to Arizona beyond that or anything, so we just never did. And mm-hmm. yeah, here it, it's kind of like the situation I had going to San Diego back in 2017 to attend SDSU. Like, you know, you're so excited to be in a city that has a football team, but as soon as you get there, they leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it's kind of the same here with the lockout. And it just, obviously it just makes me sad because like, no, too many people care about spring training, but with it being in Arizona, like, I could have gone to so many games out here and it just would have given mm-hmm. me something to do just on the side and just be an extra experience. But, you know, it is what it is. Hopefully I get my chance at some point, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the wh- – whether you go to a game or you go to the workouts, you just go to the workouts during the day. It's pretty uh, – it's a different aspect being able to go to those type of uh, – those type of events or practices that are going on because it's a different feel than – than just going to a major league game uh, where you just watch a team play nine innings and that's it. Yeah, that, that seems really cool. And I feel like, like you said, it's a, it's a different part of baseball that um, you can kind of take in and, and just view. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it definitely does seem like a fun environment. And 
just hoping this lockout ends, honestly, because there, there's only so much basketball that you can watch, I would say. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I like, you know, so many sports going on at once besides football. When football's not on, I like, you know, keeping my eyes fresh a little bit and, and watching a little bit of everything. So, you know, hopefully we are able to get it. Obviously, March Madness is, is going to help with, I guess, my sports viewing experience over mm-hmm. these next few weeks. But yep. we don't want to see baseball. We all want to see it um, to its fullest, fullest degree. And hopefully I'm able to catch some games back in Anaheim, too, um, even though I'll mm-hmm. be out here in the summer. Um, that's always a lot of fun. And then hopefully maybe in a, even a Padres game. But, yeah, man, it, it, we just got to get past this lockout. And hopefully we mm-hmm. find an agreement. Mm-hmm. So just to recap the Cactus League. So the Cubs, they play at Sloan Park. The Reds and the the Guardians, they play at Goodyear Ballpark in Goodyear. Uh, in surprise, you got the Texas Rangers and the Kansas City Royals in Peoria, you got the Seattle Mariners and the San Diego Padres. They played the Peoria Sports Complex. In Phoenix, the Milwaukee Brewers play at the American Family Fields of Phoenix. You got Mm -hmm. the Angels at Tempe Diablo Stadium. I'm pretty sure that's just down the street from the Tempe ASU campus. Yeah, it is. uh, Uh It's pretty cool. You pass by it on the freeway. and Mm -hmm. I I don't have to go to the Tempe campus, but I I Mm -hmm. do go there occasionally. And, you know, I really do like Tempe a lot more so Mm -hmm. compared to Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And that stadium makes up a big part of that city. So it's cool. Mm -hmm. You got the uh, Dodgers and White Sox at Kimmelback Ranch in Glendale. You've got the Arizona Diamondbacks and Colorado Rockies in Scottsdale at Salt River Fields. Also in Scottsdale, you got the Giants at Scottsdale Stadium, and you got the Oakland A's in Mesa, separate from the Cubs at Hohokam Stadium. Yeah, it's like I said, haven't heard of most of those stadiums. I have heard mm-hmm. of Salt River Fields, I guess, just because of the D-backs, but it's really only that in Tempe Diablo Stadium or <laughs> the only ones that I'm familiar with. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, that's, that's a lot of teams that have here in the Arizona area and playing at these different facilities. I knew it, it, there were 15 teams and, and it's evenly split. I just didn't know to what degree. So that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with that now, Kyle, you, Kyle, you and those listening know about the Cactus League. Once spring training begins, you can go to Arizona. Maybe Kyle, I'll test you in a couple of weeks about your grapefruit league knowledge. I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. honestly I, I do feel like i learned something as a result of that like uh-huh. i was familiar with some of the teams that the angels typically play but like mm-hmm. obviously you don't know everything off the top of your head especially me i don't watch too much spring training typically but yeah hopefully next year mm-hmm. we are back to business here yep all right well that's gonna do it for us here on down the line we talked some baseball we talked some where we're at in the NBA, uh, the MLB uh, lockout, um, in terms of the no deal on Monday, the two sides are meeting today. Uh, we talked Derek Jeter and the Marlins parting ways. We talked NBA James James Harden's uh, beginnings with the Philadelphia 76ers since that big trade just before the deadline a couple weeks ago. We talked some MV, MVP favorites highlighted by his teammate Joel Embiid. We talked some college hoops as with Coach K's final home game this weekend on Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific time against North Carolina. A couple of Blue Blood schools squaring up uh, in Coach K's final home game inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. And we tested Kyle on his MLB spring training knowledge. Next week, we're going to talk some, some more MV, NBA as the season comes down to the final month a month and a half we're going to talk some mlb where the lockout stands and we'll talk some college basketball is we'll be in the prime season of college basketball conference tournament so that's going to do it for us here on down the line for kyle bits i'm brevin hondo we thank you for tuning in and we hope you listen next week to down the line <laughs>